today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. As part of the Stage 2 reopening here in the province of Ontario, courtrooms have also reopened, and uh, that means the resumption of some trials that were actually put on hold because of what happened with COVID-19 back in uh, March. One of them is uh, right here in Hamilton. Uh, Jeremy Hall is being retried on the charge of first-degree murder in the 2006 death of Billy Mason, a story that we talked about at great length uh, back in the day, uh, with uh, obviously uh, with uh, Billy's mom, uh, Donna Dixon, who's on the program a number of times talking about that. Uh, Susan Claremont is covering this right now for the Hamilton Spectator. She, of course, is the award-winning crime specialist uh, for the Hamilton Spectator, and she joins us here on the Bill Kelly Show. Susan, great to have you back with us again, and I hope things are going well with you. They are. Nice to talk to you, Bill. Uh, there's a, actually, as I got my Spectator this morning, I, I, I was looking at this, I said this is the Hamilton Spectator, the Susan Claremont edition, because there's a lot of the first section here is dedicated to two stories, this one and, and another one that I also want to touch base with you on, about DNA evidence and things of this nature. But let's let's get to the trial thing, first of all. Uh, as, as you wrote about in the, in the paper today, as you uh, covered this trial yesterday, there was a certain a sense of deja vu, not just because this is a retrial, uh, but a lot of the evidence and a lot of the gruesome details that you're finding in uh, in this particular trial, uh, you reported on before in the Tim Bosma case, didn't you? It's true. Um, these are two cases where families have had to live with the understanding um, or at least the belief that their loved ones were not just murdered, but their bodies were then incinerated. And that was the evidence we were hearing yesterday, Bill, was um, painful details about how bodies burn. Which you've been through before, of course, with uh, you know the, the, the gruesome details of, of what went on there. But, but adding to that sense of deja vu, uh, there you were yesterday in the same courtroom where the Bosma trial happened with the same yep. judge and uh, yep. some of the same experts. It's true. It was... Um, it was really bizarre um, and caught some of us uh, by surprise. I was covering it alongside my friend and colleague, Lisa Hefner from CHCH, mm-hmm. and she and I sat side by side throughout the Bosma trial. And, uh, you know, we're looking at each other across the courtroom yesterday because we can't sit beside each other these days. Yeah. And uh, just, you know, shaking our heads like we've done this before. Um, and who would think that there would be two cases with that kind of similarity here in Hamilton? Susan, maybe for our listeners who may not be aware, maybe you could explain to us why is this being retried? Because he was convicted once before, the, the person we're talking about here, Jeremy Hall. Right, yes, he was. He was convicted by a jury a number of years ago, but appealed and won an appeal. Uh, so this trial actually introduces some evidence that we didn't hear before, uh, specifically evidence from his wife who had told police um, uh, years ago and signed a, a, a statement under oath that she actually woke up one night at the farmhouse they were living in, could smell a terrible smell, and um, there was a bonfire, and she believed it was the burning of Billy Mason's body. That was evidence that, that wasn't heard at the last trial. Talk to us, as, as you did during the Bosma trial, and uh, about the impact that this testimony like this has on those that are present. I mean... Uh, I, as I've talked about with you before, Susan, I mean, you've been doing this for years and years and years, and you've, you've heard some horrific stories uh, about 
what happens to human bodies and, and the way that they, they are, can be desecrated in situations like this. But this has to be right near the top of the list. Yeah, yesterday was, was pretty dark. Um, you know, in my column today, I write about one particular portion where the defense lawyer uh, was questioning a forensic anthropologist about um, how a frozen turkey would burn. And uh, what he was trying to get at was that Billy's body was likely frozen because he had been shot and killed and his body left outdoors in February for several days before being burned. Um, so, I mean, to, to be Donna Dixon, Billy's mom, and having to listen to that in the courtroom, I, I can't even imagine how awful that was. She was covering her face and, and clearly disturbed by what she was hearing. But um, to make matters even worse, Sitting behind her in the courtroom were Hank and Mary Bosma, who had come to court to show some support for Donna, who they have become uh, friends with over the last few years and, and have a special bond with. And um, they didn't realize what the testimony was going to be yesterday. And now they're also um, I'm upset and disturbed having to hear this at the top things off, the expert who was also an expert called at um, Tim's trial, then began to actually talk about Tim's case and his death. So now there are two sets of, of parents feeling traumatized in the courtroom um, because they're hearing this terrible testimony. Yeah, Tracy Rogers, the forensic pathologist that you're referring to there, of course, was at the Bosma trial as well, and just adding to that sense of deja vu. This this is a, a the the Billy Mason thing is such a tragic story. I, I can remember having Donna Dixon on the program a number of times because there was a period of time, as as you've reported many times, Susan, where they didn't know what happened. They didn't know what happened, where he was. There was, uh, and the uh, the investigation seemed to just kind of go away. I, I know police never really gave up on it, but they weren't in Donna's mind anyway, actively pursuing this and. Uh, and then this all came about. But, I mean, this this whole retelling of this story, it's just got to be gut-wrenching for everybody involved. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, Donna has to relive this every day in the courtroom. She's had to deal with the delays because of COVID. Um, she has to sit there looking at Jeremy Hall, who's sitting just, you know, meters away from her. It's it's incredibly difficult for her, um, but she's a remarkably strong woman, as I'm sure you know, Bill, having mm -hmm. talked to her. Um, I have come to admire her greatly because she advocated for her son and for her case for years when she felt that uh, nobody was paying attention, including the media. Um, I've been on the receiving end of that from Donna a few times where, where she's, you know, um, pestering the media to continue doing stories and rightfully so um, because media reports actually did help with the investigation according to police and, and led to the arrest of Jeremy Hall. We all we want is just how far we can go and just how you know how far we can be tested in situations like this but through this trial and the first trial actually uh, 
you know, as, as you talk with Donna Dixon and, and you mentioned Hank and Mary Bosma being in the courtroom to give her moral support and you got to know the Bosmas quite well during that trial. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the way that they have held up through this and it's, I use terms like gut wrenching and, and horrific to see, you know, their son, uh, or the stories of what happened to their, their sons, their respective sons in situations like this. Uh, it begs the question, I guess, to all of us, could we have handled it as well as they're handling it? And I, which is not to say that, you know, they're, I'm sure there are moments where they're, they're just crushed by all of this stuff, but there they are uh, giving each other support and, and just, you know, the, doing what needs to be done to make sure that justice is done. Yeah, I'm. Uh, you know, they're incredible people. Donna, um, so fiercely... Um, advocating for for her son for all these years um, and, you know, um, never giving up. And, you know, she has the support of her family. The Bosmas, of course, had the support of um, the Bosma Army. Remember that, Bill? They they called themselves the Bosma Army. And this was a a group of friends and um, uh, people from their church and family members like sometimes 30 or 40 people who were coming to court um, with piles of food every day during the Bosma trial um, to feed them and show their support. And um, every day before court began at the Bosma trial, they would gather for a prayer circle. It was a beautiful and humbling thing to see. Well, the last line of your story today, uh, it's really more than a parent can bear. I think pretty much sums it all up. Uh, we'll see how this develops over the next little while. I, I also thought I've got you because I know you're going to have another busy day as soon as you finish with us here today, Susan. I want, I want to talk about the other feature story that you're doing in the, uh, the spec. I guess it's a three-part feature. Uh, we talk about DNA evidence, and it has been so up front and, and so, you know, talked about because of the the influence that it has had on, on court proceedings and, and on investigations and things of this nature. And, and I think many of us are looking at that and say, this is this is just fabulous that this is down with us and it's a great tool for, for law enforcement authorities to use. But as you write about in the first piece that you've done here today, uh, there's a downside to this too and some concerns that need to be raised. Yeah, there are lots of ethical and legal questions that we haven't uh, worked out yet. Um, you know, I write about how in the United States they've they've just sort of plunged ahead and um, are in territory that that we haven't um, wandered into yet. In Canada, we're taking a much more uh, thoughtful and careful approach here, I think, and I think that's a good thing. There are, um, you know. Th- what the science will do in the future, um, we have to give that thought right now because uh, collecting DNA and using public DNA databanks, um, the results and, and repercussions of that could live with us forever. So we as a country, as lawmakers and as police and as um, politicians, we need to have a, a a really frank conversation about what we want to do with DNA and where it's going to take us in the future. Well, one of the basic things, and I know that you've covered this in the in the first piece that's in the spec today, uh, is information sharing. And, and we've talked about this, of course, about you know using the internet and everything else like this. And you know who else gets to see the information that we put out on Facebook and other places? Uh, the same thing applies to DNA evidence. I mean, anybody who has ever gone to some of these sites, you know, you want to trace your family history, et cetera, like that. Well, of course, you have to give a sample of DNA. 
that stuff gets borrowed and that gets shared among you don't know who well law enforcement agencies in the states especially can tap into that and and that can have some serious consequences for sure and you know it's easy to think that the consequences are all good and case in point is last week, I think it was last week, uh, the Golden State Killer in California yeah. confessed to uh, 12 or 13 murders and more than 50 rapes. And that, that cold case from decades ago was cracked because of um, DNA evidence and the use of a, a public DNA databank. And so it's easy to, to say, wow, that's fantastic. We should be doing more of that. But, you know, what if you're a person who's just trying to find out more about your great-great-grandfather and you submit your DNA to one of these databanks? What is the effect on, you know, family members that you haven't even met before? Um, you know, uh, third cousins, fourth cousins. What about your children? What about you know, children that haven't even been born yet. Um, what will the applications be? What? How could that affect their lives? Uh, these are the sorts of things that ethicists are, are trying to work out right now. But as you point out, uh, there is a difference in, between Canada and the U.S. in the way that information can be disseminated. Yes, we're far more cautious here. In, in uh, the United States, police are now uh, eagerly tapping into public DNA databanks, given the success of the Golden State Killer case. No police service in Hamilton, in uh, Canada, as far as we know, has, has done this yet. Hamilton police say they have not done it yet. Um, and that's because they recognize that, that there are too many kinks to work out. How would this hold up in court? Um, what does the privacy commissioner say about this? Um, is it is it ethical? Um, so we have a ways to go here, and I think that's frustrating for some Canadians who who see this as just um, a roadblock between catching the bad guys. Uh, but I think it's it's wise and it's prudent to take our time and figure out how we want to do this going forward. Well, and you, you actually, as an example, use another murder case that you wrote about in the paper today, too, about the DNA evidence that was used in a, a, a murder from some time ago, a man that was found dead in a car, and right. DNA evidence came into, into play in that particular situation. But uh, as you rightfully point out, uh, it's it's not a, a slam bang for, for police to do this sort of thing. Uh, there's still an awful lot of, of legwork to do to try to match that DNA at the crime scene and things of that nature. So it's it's a tool, but it's not it's not the be all and end all in a situation like that. That's right. It will never replace good old fashioned police work, um, where you know you need to still get cast off DNA and that sort of thing to to do a proper comparison. So um, it's a tool, but it's a very powerful tool. You mentioned that it's not being used very much here in Canada or even here in the Hamilton area right now. Uh, is there an anticipation that it's going to be because of what happened in San, in uh, California? I think we're moving in that direction. Um, you know, if you look at other applications of, of DNA science, um, one that I found really, really interesting when I was working on this uh, series is something called phenotyping. And... Uh, it's used widely in the United States, less so here. But what it does is 
um, DNA from a, a crime scene that is believed to, be, to belong to the suspect. Um, you know, say uh, blood left behind at a crime scene and, and you think it belongs to the bad guy. Um, there is uh, a method now where that DNA can be reverse engineered into a mugshot of what that suspect may look like. Um, there's, it, it's not terribly reliable at this point, but the science is advancing very, very quickly. And I think that's going to be a really uh, helpful and powerful tool in the future. You know, when police have no idea what the suspect may look like, this starts to guide them to an image of uh, the person they may be looking for. Well, we were over the weekend watching an old episode of Bones, uh, and uh, with and a lot of the technology that they were talking about in those programs back in those days, computer technologies and all this sort of stuff, is now is the reality. I mean, it's being used more and more in 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 crime investigations, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's incredible. I mean, um, and that was you know where my idea for this series came from is. I hear a lot of DNA evidence when I'm in a courtroom, obviously, at uh, every murder trial I do. There's there's days of DNA experts and, and forensic experts. Um, but, you know, it's just changing so rapidly, and the science is so fascinating. Uh, I, you know, I, I can't even imagine where it's going to take us in, in the years to come. But it's... Um, you know, sort of limitless possibilities. And, uh, you know, there are whole, there are private labs in the United States that are doing things that, that we haven't even tried yet here in Canada. It's, uh, as I mentioned, a three-part series, uh, Are Any Means Justified to Catch Criminals? You can check it out uh, in today's edition of the paper and I guess in the next few uh, as you continue this. Great to have you back on the beat, Susan. Thanks so much for the time today. Great talking with you today. Thanks so much, Bill. Take care. You too. Take care. Susan Claremont, of course, award-winning columnist with the Hamilton Spectator. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.